Tonight's reading is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they will return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. We're continuing our reading in chapter 12, um, verses 8 to 14. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is God's word. My name is Matt Fuller. If we've not met, it would be lovely to do so uh, afterwards. Uh, And we're beginning tonight looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, which is, if you're just here visiting, which is wonderful because everything is now meaningless uh, for you, which is a great treat and delight. Let's pray, uh, and then we'll look at this together. Our Father, here in this ancient book is so much uh, which is contemporary. The attitudes which are here are so often expressed by our culture around, not just in chapter one, but throughout the book. So help us, we pray, help us to understand uh, why it was originally written. Help us understand how that impacts us today so that we are delivered from lives of meaninglessness. We have lives which love you, which fear you, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's brilliant, is it? So it's the warmest day of the year uh, today, which is nice uh, in the UK, warmer in London than it is in Madrid, I'll have you know, uh, which is all very nice and pleasant. Uh, and I don't you may well have had a good weekend. Um, and work may be good at the moment, and social life may be good, uh, and you may be feeling very optimistic about things. But let me just remind you that all, all that you're doing is meaningless. Now, not many people have Ecclesiastes as their favorite book in the Bible. A few do. 
Bono. It's his favorite book of the Bible, did you know? Uh, and, uh, but uh, uh, not many, I guess, have it as they're in that category. It seems a bit depressing. Life can be depressing anyway at times. And actually, it's much better to have to be cheered up, isn't it? I mean, comedians, we like them. They cheer us up. Ecclesiastes, sort of anti-comedian. Um, what's the point of coming to something like this? Well, that is the point. The point of Ecclesiastes is that life is often frustrating and confusing and disappointing. And if you know that, you come to this book and think, oh, how helpful, what a relief. God says life is confusing and disappointing at times. Not always, but at times it is a bit like that. If you've never felt that, if you've only ever experienced optimism and hope, and that is the the benefit of being young, then Ecclesiastes pokes you and says, excuse me, what is the point of your life? What is your life going to add up to? How many hours in the office? How many beers drunk? How many hours watching telly? What is your life going to add up to? Asks the question. So Ecclesiastes is, is on one hand, it's a deeply unsettling book. Uh, On the other hand, I think many find it a deeply reassuring book because it is very true to life. And we've encountered the dominant idea straight away in chapter 1, meaningless. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. 38 times we're told in this book that things are meaningless, Pleasure is meaningless, money is meaningless, achievements are meaningless, youth is meaningless, vigor is meaningless, because they don't last. Now, I have to say, it's slightly tricky to know how to translate that word, hevel. In the Hebrew, vanity, the King James Version calls it vanity, vanity, all is vanity, which makes us think, hmm, and look at the mirror. It's not talking about that. It's quite a hard word to translate, but by vanity, it means all in vain. Vapor, a puff of wind, fleeting will be a good translation. Ephemeral, doesn't last. Everything comes and goes. That's the sort of sense to it. So I'm not a great fan of meaningless, even though that's how the NIV takes it, because there is meaning in the book. We were told that patience is better than pride. That's a meaningful statement. Wisdom is better than folly. That's a meaningful statement. In one of its really wonderfully encouraging moments, the book of Ecclesiastes will tell you it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. Great. Um, so there is meaning. It's not a sort of random collection. It's not gobbledygook. It's not Klingon. So I think vapor... Vapor is a good translation, perhaps most helpful. Because vapor doesn't last. It comes and it goes quite quickly. If it's a cold day and you go outside and you breathe and you can see your breath, you can't bottle that. You can't say, oh, look at that, that's interesting. and I'll I'll, I'll put that away and I'll get that out later when I'm in my house. You, You can't do that. Breath, you can't nail it to the wall. You can't make an art display out of breath, although I bet someone's tried, I bet it's in the tape, modern, but you can't. (laughs) You can't quite do that because breath is vapour. It's there, but it's gone. It simply doesn't last. 
38 times we're told that things are meaningless. Now this has led many, just so you understand where we're coming from when we come to this book, many people have come to the book of Ecclesiastes and said the main character, the teacher, uh, we meet him there in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the teacher can't be a believer of any kind because no believer in the Old Testament or no Christian today could say, Life is meaningless. See, there's not, there is real meaning. And so lots of say, well, the bloke's not a, not a Christian. He's just got it wrong. It's an interesting sort of book. But you get to the point in chapter 12, whereas, um, if, if you, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, in chapter 12 and verse 9, there's a sort of editorial comment. So it's the teacher, the teacher, the teacher for 11 and a half or 12 chapters. And then you get this editorial comment. And so some say, well, here's, here's a sort of believer having to correct him. Well, you make some useful, you know, some of the stuff that the teacher has said, he's quite good, but he misses the point slightly. And so here's my editorial uh, sort of flourish to correct it. You, you may have had that sort of depressing comment years ago in school, where your school teacher writes at the bottom of an essay or something. You make some interesting points, but completely fail to understand the book or something along those lines. Have those sort of depressing comments? Do any of those scarred you? The most scarring comment I ever had from a school teacher, uh, Mr. John, Brian Anthony John, Badge we called him. On one particular, I can't remember what I'd done, but one particular day he said to me, he had this sort of sneery voice, good grief, fella, you are the most stupid boy I've ever taught in 20 years of teaching. But I'll give you credit, you are the most consistent Yeah, that's not good, is it? That's not good. That one slightly sticks out in my head. But is that what's going on here? The, the, the teacher has got it all wrong, and then the, 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 the believer comes along and says, well, very good, very good, but you've completely missed the point. Some good ideas. No, I don't think you can read the book that way. There are two voices running throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're told uh, the teacher in the main book, uh, one, uh, chapters 1 to 12, 13 times, the teacher states that God gives wealth, honor, enjoyment, wisdom, toil, the days of our lives. These are all gifts of God. He recognizes that life under the sun, that is life on this planet, life as we experience it, is a gift of God. God does give us all that we have. And there are repeated times in the book uh, you get this refrain, take joy in life. Do turn back to page uh, chapter one. That's where we're spending all our time pretty much really. So do make sure you're there in, in chapter one. If you're there, you can see uh, even just across on, on, on chapter two, verse 24. Look here, a person could do no better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil or work. This too I see is from the hand of God for without them who can eat or Find enjoyment to the person who pleases him. God gives all these wonderful things. It's good. So there is joy. Take joy in life. You get it in chapter 3, 5, 8, 9, 11. Take joy. So you've got these two voices running through the book of Ecclesiastes. They seem, at first glance, contradictory. On one hand, you've got this repeated refrain, life and everything in it is meaningless. And yet alongside that, the teacher will say, God is the life giver. He'll give you all sorts of good things. Honor him. Enjoy him. And both of those are true. There are times in this 
world, in this life, where we just think, what is that? What was the point of that? How does that happen? You just look upon life and think, well, that's what a waste. Life is meaningless. And yet God is the life giver. Honor him. Fear him. Trust him. And doing that, enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. So both are true. It's a brutally honest book. It can be very discouraging or indeed very refreshing. Slide depends what mood you're in when you read it. Uh, because it is both. Because life is both depressing at times and goes wrong at times. But it's also wonderful. Look, we spend most of our time then in uh, chapter 1 and verse 11. I wanted to give you the frame tonight before we uh, start working through different chapters uh, in later weeks. So we're going to look at it like this. Uh, uh, Everything is meaningless. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, that's where we spend most of our time. Then briefly, God will judge every deed in chapter 12. And then we'll get to a conclusion. Okay, so everything is meaningless. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, so it looks like Solomon. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Everything. That's slightly discouraging. I don't know how many ever read or watched the different versions on TV or on film of uh, Douglas Adams' The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He's sort of existentialist, so kind of loves the idea of meaninglessness. That's kind of his thing. That's what gets him up in the morning, ironically. But uh, in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the most intelligent, you'll know this if you've read it, the most intelligent creatures in the universe are mice. Uh, and so what the mice do is they build a supercomputer, it's the size of a city, uh, and they plug in all, all sorts of data that they can find to answer the question, what is the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything? Uh, and this computer, the size of a city called Deep Thought, it takes seven and a half million years to come up with an answer. And you know the answer is 42. That's it! And they say, well, that's not very good. We need a better answer to life than that. 42? Although as one who is... 42 years old, that's quite exciting to me. Um, But 42? No, a bit more than that. So they build another computer the size of a planet to discover the answer to the question, what is the meaning of life? And the, do you know this? Have people read this? Anyway, uh, so the, the new computer they build is the Earth, our planet. So actually all our planet is, is a supercomputer designed to work out the question of what is the meaning of life? And most people don't realize, and so as Douglas Adams puts it in the book, this is very odd. The inhabitants of Earth don't realize it's a computer. Very odd, because without that fairly simple and obvious piece of knowledge, nothing that ever happened on the Earth could possibly make the slightest bit of sense. If all this world is is a computer to design, determine what the meaning of life is. Do you not know this? this is, you know. The, uh, do you know what happens just before... The earth, the great computer, churns out the meaning of life. What happens? It's just about to produce a readout. uh, And then a a race of beings called the Vogans come and destroy the earth in order to build a bypass. Uh, And so the chance to find the meaning of life is just gone. And that's it. And what's his point? There is no point to life. That's what he's saying. That's slightly depressing, isn't it? This is a bit better than that. Although it is stressing, what is the point of life? Verses 1 to 11 are an intro to the book. And then uh, we'll see next time, chapter 1, verse 12. The teacher takes up the first person until chapter 12, verse 8. 
In this first section, 1 to 11, we're meant to feel, feel the weight of nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Again, I think vapor. Vapor is a pretty good description. So he's saying life, life is a bit like this, okay? So the musos, uh, they'll start coughing in a moment. Life is sweet smelling. Smell that, that's my son's link, smell that. Um, <laughs> sweet smelling, occasionally a little overpowering, that's teenagers. The, um, uh, but uh, life is sweet smelling. It's nice. But look, it just goes. May overpower you for a while. Oh, this is quite good actually. It may overpower you for a while, but then it's just gone. Let's work it through it. Uh, chapter one, verse three. What a excuse me. <laughs> chapter. <laughs> Uh, has, it, has it quite? Is, is, is it reduced? Is it hit you now? Yeah, it's a bit much, isn't it? Sorry, a bit too much. Chapter one, verse three. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Gain. It's a business word. It's, it's, the, it's the word for profit. You know, you have all your expenditures uh, and you have what you take in, and the difference between them is your profit. What's left over between your income and your expenditure? It's your profit. What profit will you have in life? When you die, you've taken stuff out of this world, you've put stuff in, what's left? What's your profit? What have you achieved? What is your legacy? What do people gain? Verse four, generations come and generations go. The earth remains forever. I read that this week, uh, at some point this week, I forget when, there will be forthcoming there will be more dead Facebook users than living ones. I mean, Facebook seems like a relatively new thing to me, you know, over the last decade or so. But really, there'll be more dead who've used Facebook than people who are alive who are on it. Generations come and go. Well, the earth remains forever. You get three illustrations of that. The sun rises and the sun sets, verse 5, and hurries back to where it rises. Literally, the sun pants back to where it began. It's very vivid in the original. The sun, it's not literally true. We know the planets orbit the sun. I know, I know. But his point is it just goes round and round and round. Uh, Verse 6, the wind, the wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Verse 7, the streams, all streams flow into the sea. The sea's never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Well, it's a bit more optimistic. At least streams go somewhere. They're not, you know, they're not just circular; they're linear. But well, I don't know it's basic GCSE geography, isn't it? It flows to the sea, and then it gets drawn up, and then it forms clouds, and then it rains on the hills, and then it runs down again. That's kind of how water goes. Oh, it's not very encouraging. It's all very repetitive. Life. Begin day, have breakfast, go to work, come home, entertainment, sleep, repeat, and repeat, and repeat. 
Samuel Beckett, uh, also not the most cheerful of characters, as you know, if you've been to see any of his plays. Uh, one that doesn't get performed very often is Breath. There are no actors in his play, Breath. It's only 30 seconds long. And all it is is on stage, there's a pile of rubbish, dimly lit, and you get a baby's cry for birth. And then a man breathily inhales into the microphone so you can all hear it. And as he does so, the rubbish gets illuminated and much brighter. And then he exhales. And the lights go dim. And it's 30 seconds long. See, if anyone says, I've got a good deal on price to go and see Breath by Samuel Beckett at the theatre, only a tenner for front row seats. It's not worth it for 30 seconds. What's his point in that sort of play? Wee! <sighs> That's life. That's what it is. Well, you might have a bit more fun. Your life might last a little longer than 30 seconds. But what do you achieve? You're going to the same place. That's life. And so it's wearisome, verse 8. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear. It's fill of hearing. There's always more to see. There's no sense of closure. You don't see something and go, that's brilliant. I'm satisfied now. And when you look at something, you go, well, that's done. The next thing, uh, the next thing. I went to our holiday last week. And uh, coming back, our flight was slightly delayed. Uh, and so a big old queue, classic EasyJet queue, and oh, who's in charge? No one. Uh, we're all sort of bimbling around a bit. And as far as I could tell, everyone around us was talking about their next holiday. Oh, when we go to, and in the summer when we go to, oh, but in a month's time we're going to. You can just be on holiday for a few days. And all you're talking about is the next holiday. You haven't enjoyed this holiday. Have you enjoyed this holiday? Oh, it was all right. The weather was okay. Was looking forward to the next one. There's no satisfaction. Always more. On the next thing. On the next thing. On the next thing. And so verse 9, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. It's the ceaseless making and unmaking of human history. Of course, there's technological progress, but that only encourages, encourages this to a certain extent. So you buy a new tally, and it lasts five years, because that's how they're designed these days. Or you buy a new laptop, and it lasts, well, four functional years, and in the fifth, sixth year, when you're, sort of, you're sort, of, sort of returning the bar to make it go, and you get the spinny wheel of doom all the time on it, and you have to replace it. You're just replacing and replacing and replacing all the time. So someone comes up with a brand new idea, verse 10. Is there anything of which one can say, look, here's something new? No, verse 10. It was here already, long ago. It was been here, it was here before our time. Nothing dramatic. It's very strange, the, the news, if you watch the news, I don't know if you watch the news online or you watch it at night, 10 o'clock news, always quite dramatic. Music, quite dramatic. Somber to the camera, 
where's Hugh Edwards this week? It's sort of, he's like, where's Wally? Where's Hugh? He's sort of, he's in Munich, he's in Belgium. You know, where have they sent Hugh Edwards this week? God, he's gone to Australia. He's done that very quickly. Where's Hugh? You know, because they just send him to wherever the most interesting part of the world is. He barely ever gets to sit in the studio. No wonder he's got bags upon bags and looks exhausted. But um, it's all very dramatic, isn't it? The news, bom, 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 bom. doesn't go like that, does it? But anyway, you get the dramatic music for the news and very somberly there is something very serious I need to tell you about tonight. It's very serious and very important and affects all our lives exceptionally. And, and there's another very, also very serious thing going on in somewhere else in the world. So, the truth is, of course, if you go away for a couple of weeks and don't read a newspaper or watch the news, actually what has happened of real significance? Not a lot. Oh, if you're in Port Talbot at the moment, yes, that's highly significant. But not a lot. Make a great fuss. So much of importance has happened today, has it? It was a cricket match. Did we win? No, we lost. Well, that'll happen again. It's meaningless. <laughs> There'll be another World Cup. It'll all come round. It's meaningless. No, nothing very dramatic. Even the horrific scenes you get shown on the TV of a, of a tsunami or a hurricane or an earthquake. And there's the next thing. And we remember, oh, yeah, uh, what year was the tsunami in the East, in East Asia? What year was Hurricane Katrina? I, what year was the Haitian earthquake? That was all very dramatic. And I, the country's been rebuilt. I don't know. There have been other disasters since then. It just goes on. Nothing new. Human history is repetitive. Verse 11. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. People will soon forget you. It's often said, is it? Who can name their great-grandfather? Very few of us. Every year in November, we'll have Remembrance Day and Remembrance Sunday. We do it twice. And of course, we'll stand and seriously say, at the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Them as a sort of generic block, not any individual. How many Victoria Cross winners can you name? The highest medal for military gallantry. How many can you name? The last one, Johnson Bahari. Go back beyond that. A bit trickier beyond that. Went to the Falklands after that. Who remembers them? Who remembers you? The teacher, he isn't here to cheer us up, by the way. That's not his primary intent at the beginning of the book. Life is repetitive, life is frustrating, it's confusing, at times it can be brutal. But most of us know there are people we can't handle, there are problems we can't solve, there are suffering we just can't fathom, there are longings we cannot satisfy. And Ecclesiastes brings us to the point where, what are you going to do about that? Shrug? Oh well. Is that all you got? So it challenges us. If you, if, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, it challenges the unbeliever here. How can you argue with what he's saying here in chapter 1, verses 1 to 11? When you are died, excuse me, when you die and are laid in your box or burnt and put in your jar, what will your life show? Your life is meaningless, lacking purpose. And if you disagree with that, 
He has only just started. He's going to have a go at you for another 11 chapters in a similar sort of vein, just for your encouragement over the next few weeks. For Stephen Crane wrote a poem I think is very evocative of uh, Ecclesiastes. The poet Stephen Crane. I saw a man pursuing the horizon. Round and round they sped. I was disturbed at this. I accosted the man. It's futile, I said. You can never capture the horizon. You lie, he cried and ran on. And Stephen Crane is saying, that's what most people in life do. We'll see. Next week, Solomon says, I'm the most intelligent man in the world. And I can't work out what the meaning of life is. So what does he do? Chapter 2, verse 1, he goes to the pub and gets drunk. And that's life, isn't it? And that's London. What is the meaning of life? I don't know. What are you going to have to show for your life? I don't know. Well, when you die, what will the whole purpose of your life be? I don't know, but get the beers in. And that's how people live. Life and everything is meaningless. But, but secondly, God will judge every deed. More briefly, do turn on to uh, chapter 12. Let's just look at the conclusion of the book. In fact, just the last verses or a couple of verses, really. Just because we need to have this frame in place when you look at the whole book of Ecclesiastes. You need to have both these voices clear in your head. Let me just read verses 13 and 14, the last two of the book. Chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For because God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. See, there's a command and a reason. Command. Fear God and keep his commandments. Reason. Verse 14. God will bring every deed into judgment. Your life matters because God will assess it. And that changes everything. Everything you do will be assessed and rewarded or not. It makes an enormous difference to know that someone is judging, appraising what you're doing. So companies have appraisals to encourage their employees. Here's a daft example, but I remember years ago, when I was at school, uh, I was uh, sort of uh, made up the numbers in the school football team. Uh, and I don't just say that out of false humility. I just made up the numbers. That's what I did. There were two very, very good players, Dominic Ludden and Damon Stone. Both of them played for England at schoolboy level. Dominic Ludden was the England captain for the under-18s. Uh, tragically, too much success, too young, too many drugs. Uh, never had a great career. But at that age, they were outstanding and our school team was a little bit more sophisticated, but not much more than get the ball to them, uh, because they were uh, very, very talented. Hey, Premier League's team still do it. Uh, you watch Everton, that's all they do. Get it to Lukaku, that's what they do. Um, but uh, we were basically the same as that. And I remember one football match, we were slightly going through the motions, and uh, we were winning, and uh, it was sort of drumming this team, 4-5-0, it was all a bit prosaic, and we were just slightly going through the motions. Uh, and at half-time, a teacher, the teacher in charge said... Hey, by the way, do you, do you know who those guys over there are? Oh, they're, they're actually the um, they're England coaches. They're here to watch uh, Dominic and, and Damon. Um, so, you know, England coaches watching you today, boys. 
Now, the rest of us, the other nine, we knew we were also rants and never... But knowing you're watched by someone who's impressive, all of a sudden, you know, you walk out onto the pitch, you know, peacock, out we come, you know, running, running, running around, like, you know, all of a sudden, where he's a little bit slightly going through the motions, we're going to win, you know, whatever. All of a sudden, everything, you take everything very, very seriously. Because someone who matters is watching you, and all of a sudden, it's quite exciting to know you're being uh, appraised. Uh, not really, they're thinking, you know, who the other duffers, duffers. But anyway, it's still quite exciting to be appraised. Now, in life, to know that what you do matters, oh, that injects our lives with so much value. It's not meaningless. If we know our lives are watched, observed, assessed by the Lord, and he rewards. It makes the most fundamental difference to how we live. If no one is assessing you, who cares what you do? If God, who is perfect, is assessing you, oh, it makes all the difference. It's a bit of a cliche in one sense, but if your plane is going down, you're on an aircraft and your plane is going down over the mid-Atlantic and you're not going to be found for ages and there's no real records. How does it matter how you live those final few minutes? There's some electronic thing blows out so everyone's phone goes pop and, and blows. There's no records. Black box pops and blows. No records. What does it matter how you live those final five minutes? Whether you live them hugging people or mugging them healing people who are injured or stealing from them. What does it matter? Be good, do bad. No one will ever know. What's the point? And that's life. That is depressing. But to know that God observes, sees, cares, oh, it transforms things. There is an assessment, a verdict, a judgment upon every single act, and therefore what we do matters. Life is, at times, very painful. But God is the source of everything positive in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we can enjoy life knowing that it comes as a gift, and he'll reward us for how we live. So just, just so you get this sense of it, uh, a few, Andy, a few little of uh, those. So chapter 5, verse 19. Look, moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy from his work, that's a gift of God. Enjoy it. If you're living your life and got riches and you, you've got a great job, God has given those things to you, enjoy them. And know that he'll assess how you use them. Use them for his glory, of course. Or similarly, chapter 8, verse 15, So I commend the enjoyment of life. Great! Go and have a good time, says the teacher. I commend the enjoyment of life. Because nothing's better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. And joy will accompany him in his work and all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. Well, know your life has purpose and enjoy it, for goodness sake. Or last is one, here's another example. Chapter 11, verse 9. Be happy, young man, while you're young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Hey, you've got gifts. You've got opportunities. Grab hold of them. Use them. Enjoy them. And they matter. It's not just you're wasting your life and going through the motions and just filling time. It matters because God knows. And he'll bring you, he'll assess. He'll bring you to judgment on these things. And so chapter 12, verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments. Live for him. 
These two, then, you've got to put them together. Life is meaningless. And yet God will judge every deed and therefore brings meaning. But the genius of the book of Ecclesiastes is, is that the latter doesn't cancel out the former. Because there are still days when life is meaningless. It never says become a believer, become a Christian, and life is straightforward and you'll never have days of vapor, never have days of frustration again. It doesn't say that. You still always have those. Again, I had to get up at 3 a.m. to catch a flight to go on holiday, cheap uh, pack, a la package sort of thing. Three, oh, well, at least you know, we'll get there in decent time. And then the flight, you know, you get there and what? The flight's delayed by how many hours? I could have three more hours in bed. That matters when you got up at 3 a.m. And you think, well, what do you do? It's just life, isn't it? It's meaningless sometimes. What's the point of that? What is the purpose, Lord, in depriving me of three hours of sleep? There's no purpose. There doesn't appear to be any purpose. But in that situation, fear God and honor him. How you live in that situation matters enormously. So be Ecclesiastes, be righteous, serve God. Life is sometimes brutal, it's sometimes relentless, but he will reward you. So there's the summary, really. Expect frustration, fear God, enjoy life. And of course it does help in the midst of vapor, fleeting, meaningless. Of course it helps. We're meant to look at Jesus Christ and his example, of course. You could easily say, wow, that was very exciting for a while, wasn't it? So there's this man, he comes along out of nowhere, aged roughly 30, and does all these miracles. That's pretty exciting. Uh, And then he gathers all these followers, thousands, and golly, Jerusalem, they're all in, the whole city is there chanting his name. Can you imagine? You just happen to enter London one day on a, I don't know, motorbike, say, uh, and there is, there is, every, there are crowds, a hundred thousand people shouting, Chris, Myron, Chris, Myron, and everyone is shouting your name. And really, well, that would be pretty memorable. That's sort of, he's going to do so much. He's going to turf out the Romans, and then a week later, he's dead. And of course, everyone observed and thought, well, what was all that about? It was very exciting for a while, but what was all that about? We all, thought, we all thought this was it. We all thought this was the moment when we took back our country. Oh, vapour. Jesus, just vapour. But, but of course, as Paul would describe it, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow on heaven and on earth. Everyone. Because he's rewarded for his faithfulness, for his trusting his father. Even though you, from a worldly perspective, from a life under the sun, it just looked meaningless what had happened to him. But he was faithful. His life was excuse me, assessed and rewarded. So expect frustrations. They happen. Expect days of vapour. You may go into the office having had a nice weekend and just nothing goes right from noon to night. Do you ever have one of those days? It's copyright Elvis, by the way. 
Do you ever wonder that he just goes wrong? Oh well, there'll be plenty of those. Smile at them, call IT, say why is my computer not working again, whatever it may be. But trust the Lord, fear him, and enjoy what he's given you. Let me leave this in prayer. Father, we want to thank and praise you for the, for the honesty, the realism of your word. At times our lives are terrific and we love pretty much everything that's going on. At times they are dull. They're repetitive. Nothing seems to change. It just goes on and on and on. And we think, oh, we'd love it to be different. But sometimes life is like that. And sometimes we do achieve something which is great and then it's gone. And people forget and, oh well, back to being routine again. Father, life is so often like that. Round and round we go. And yet, and yet, Father, in that, and in the days we have of frustration, days of vapor, you're watching, you're seeing. And so would we trust you? Would we fear you and live lives which are pleasing to you, knowing that, how, that having you assess our lives gives them great meaning? And therefore, would we enjoy life? all the days under the sun that you give us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.